is is that Bob Ivins, a longtime member of this congregation, passed away on February 27th. He uh, is the husband of Millie Ivins. Uh, there was a service for him yesterday at Anne's Choice, so I would invite you to be in touch with uh, Millie in this coming week. Second announcement is that um, uh, Chris Holland, our seminary intern, uh, is about to be ordained. Uh, this coming Saturday, he will finally be ordained. We've been waiting for this for a lot of years, and so um, his ordination is going to happen this coming Saturday at 4 p.m. at New Spirit Community Church which is at 5736 Chester Avenue in Philadelphia. So uh, we're going to be going carpooling down there uh, to, to see Chris and his, his uh, hour of glory. And so I would encourage you to uh, be in touch with Chris in the course of the week and then also uh, to make plans to see his ordination this coming Saturday. Are there any other announcements that I'm forgetting about? New members class is happening in, we call it the stage. So you go into the boyer and then you kind of turn up this way. We'll be up there. You can find us. All right. Our second reading this morning is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. I'm reading from chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 16 verses of chapter 5. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16. Hear the word of God. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up. On the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would be present with us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is that you would have us know and do. I pray that you would be honored and glorified by this service of worship. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am. Ego, a me. 
I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Seven times Jesus makes grand pronouncements about his identity using the Greek phrase ego me," which means I am, I am. A phrase which is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Yahweh, the great name that God gives himself in the Old Testament. Every time Jesus spoke this way, the ears of the scribes and the Pharisees prickled because it sounded dangerously close to blasphemy. A faithful Jew doesn't dare to speak the name of God for fear of violating the third commandment against taking the name of the Lord in vain. Rather than saying Yahweh, which is God's given name, an observant Jew will say Adonai, which means the Lord, or Hashem, which means the name. And so for Jesus to use the name of God in describing himself, well, it raised some eyebrows. And it raised a few hackles because it sure did sound like Jesus was calling himself God. Imagine that. There are times when God's truth seems dangerously close to blasphemy, to sacrilege, to heresy. And as we approach God's truth with fear and reverence, let us never for a moment think that God is safe or tame, or domesticated. Let us never imagine that we have God like a useful genie locked up in our theological bottle. God is God. He plays by His own rules. He does not answer to us. He doesn't require our approval. He doesn't ask for our permission or ask our opinion. This morning, our reading from the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew bring us a pair of bright and surprising truths that Jesus is the light of the world and that we, His church, are the light of the world. I don't know about you, but the conjunction of those two statements feels dangerously close to blasphemy to me. My sacrilege and heresy meter is beeping. I get how Jesus is the light of the world. The Bible tells us that He is the radiance of the glory of God, that He is the bright morning star. Sure, Jesus is the light of the world, but how do ordinary people like us deserve that same title? This is an important sermon this morning, and I want you to stay with me and not nod off or not be distracted by your children this morning because we're talking about a point of contact between the divine and the human. We're going to examine an interface between heaven and earth and I think you're going to be amazed and encouraged by what you hear this morning. Our reading from the Gospel of John opens with Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this passage, John uses light as a metaphor, of course. Though I want to be careful not to say a mere metaphor. 
Light as a metaphor, as an image, has a deep and rich legacy in, in Scripture. It resonates in multiple ways and it reveals many of the facets of the character of God. Let me offer a quick survey of light, both metaphorical and literal, from the Word of God. Hold on tight, I'm going to move very quickly. Light is the beginning of creation. On the very first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1-3. Light is the presence of God. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah 2-5. Light is a sign of God's favor toward us. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Psalm 4-6. Light is salvation and security. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 27.1. Light is understanding and wisdom. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Psalm 119 verse 130. Light is truth. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Psalm 43.3. Light is righteousness. I have called you in righteousness. I will give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Isaiah 42, 6. Light is justice. A law will go out for me and I will set my justice for a light before the peoples. Isaiah 51, 4. Light is sweet pleasure. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Ecclesiastes eleven seven. God creates light, the literal light of stars and firesides and candles. God creates light, the metaphorical light, radiating in every moral good that makes our lives worth living. God's own favor, salvation and security, truth, understanding, wisdom, righteousness, justice, and even sweet pleasures of this life. All of it is light. All of it is God's light. But the story doesn't end there. God not only creates light, God is light. The Word of God is light. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. The Messiah, the promised Messiah is light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Isaiah 9, 2. And arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah 61. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 5. And finally, God himself is light. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1.5 When Jesus stands up in the temple and declares, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's claiming all of that stuff for Himself. Everything that makes life worth living, truth and justice and security and righteousness and wisdom and pleasure, it's all His. It pours out of Him like sheets of photons from the surface of the sun, like the mighty solar wind that blows past Pluto. Jesus is the light of the world. 
Jesus radiates truth and justice and security and righteousness and wisdom and beauty so that in His presence all lies and all cruelty and all anxiety and all evil and all ignorance and all ugliness run for cover and disappear like shadows in the noonday sun. Now let me offer a word of warning so we're not caught off guard. During this life, because we live in a fallen world, we live partly in the light and partly in the shadows. That's true even of born-again Christians. We have been made new creations in Christ. Yes, it is true. We are new creatures. But the old man, the old nature continues to cling to us, continues to weigh us down. Even though it is dying and fading away, it's still there. Like a thorn in the flesh, like a stone in our shoe, like an ever-present temptation. But we are confident that our victory over darkness is assured. We are confident that our victory over darkness is assured. We are confident of that victory because it was won for us at Calvary once and for all time. And while we will struggle with our old dark nature during this life, While we will face fierce temptation and opposition, the time is coming when Jesus will appear in clouds of glory and that old nature will simply be gone. And we will be free, finally, forever and fully free. That's our blessed hope. And until that day comes, we will struggle with the darkness. Don't be surprised. Don't think that something's gone wrong with you when it happens. Don't panic. Every Christian struggles with sin. We all have our favorite sins. We all have our signature sins. We all have our patterns of sin. A Christian is not a sinless person. A Christian isn't someone who no longer struggles with darkness or temptation. A Christian is someone who fights the good fight. Against darkness and sin. A Christian is someone who isn't satisfied with the status quo and tries again and again and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you're worried about the status of sin in your life, here's a handy little diagnostic. When you realize that you have sinned, do you run from Jesus or do you run to Jesus? When you realize that you've sinned, do you run from Jesus or do you run to Jesus? When you explode in anger, when you give in to lust, when you nurse a grudge, when you tell a lie, when you're filled with envy, when you think you are more important than someone else, When you harbor hate in your heart. When you do those things and then realize that what you've done is sinful. Do you run from Jesus or do you run to Jesus? Everyone sins. But the person who sins and runs to Jesus is safe and secure. While the person who sins and runs away from Jesus is in grave danger. 
Jesus said, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Are you sinning and then making excuses? Are you sinning and then blaming someone else? Are you sinning and then running for the cover of darkness? 1 John 1, 9 and 10 we read, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And His word is not with us. In our reading from the Gospel of Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus say these amazing words to his disciples. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people buy a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. How does that make you feel? Are you thinking, woohoo, Jesus got that one right. I am the light of the world and people will look at me and they will say, glory to God, what a fine fellow he is. Or are you thinking, whoo, man, oh man, I sure hope God has a plan B for his glory because he's not getting much shine from me. Listen. I got to tell you, I am the kind of Christian who doesn't put a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on my car because I don't want to embarrass Jesus by the way I drive. For Christmas, my wife bought me an I love Greenland bumper sticker for my car. And I do love Greenland. But I live in fear that one of these days a posse of Eskimos is going to find me and demand that I take it off. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How do you make sense of that? How do we take these words seriously? Well, let me offer two brief observations, and then we'll close, and we'll have the Lord's Supper. Brief observation number one, you and I, we the people of God, every redeemed person is part of God's plan. From all eternity, God had a plan for his big creation, and you are part of that plan. You are not here by accident. You are not the product of random forces in a soulless universe. You are the intentional creation of an intelligent and loving God. 
And God gave you an active role to play in His drama. All of creation serves to glorify God. We, His creatures, were created for the very purpose of bringing glory to God. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, What is the chief end of man? Or to put it in modern English, For what purpose were we made? Or what were we designed for? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In Isaiah 60, God sings a hymn. He sings it to His people. It's a hymn about Himself. It's a hymn about His glory. And it begins this way. Arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And then in verse 21 we read, Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, and the branch of my planting, the work of my hand, that I, God, might be glorified. We are the work of God's hand. And what He's accomplishing among His people brings glory to Him. It is God's intention for us that we be righteous. It is God's intention for us that we be fruitful. It is God's intention for us that we take possession of the land and that we prosper in all that we put our hands to. Not for our pleasure, but for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your bodies. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Even in the way we eat and drink, we can bring glory to God. Our whole lives count. God is interested in every moment of our lives. Sometimes we think that it's only the big things, the heroic things, the grand things that can be godly. But even the ordinary things, how we eat and how we drink, can be done to the glory of God. God's plan for salvation for the world includes the nation of Israel through whom He promised to bless the whole world. It also includes the church which is the body of Christ in the world, the perpetual witness to the saving work of Jesus. We, as the church, have been saved by God, not only so we can spend eternity with Him, but also so that we can be busy in the work that He has set aside for us to do. We read in Ephesians 2.10, We are His, God's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What kind of good works? Well, there are all kinds of good works that we can be doing. There are all kinds of good works that the church is called to do. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus makes it clear that all Christians are called to offer hospitality. To welcome the stranger, that all Christians are called to feed the hungry, 
that all Christians are called to care for the sick and to visit people who are in prison. These are some of the good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. And when we do them, we not only relieve human suffering, we also bring glory to God. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. So what good work has God prepared beforehand for you to do? Brief observation number two. It is not us who bring glory to God, but Christ in us. It is not us who bring glory to God, but Christ in us. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Philippians 4.13, Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Friends, here is the truth. We cannot do it on our own. We can't be the light of the world. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much money we spend, no matter how much time we put into it, no matter how big of a campaign we organize or how selfless and fearless we are in our commitment to righting all the wrongs and alleviating all of the suffering, we cannot do it on our own. We will either burn out and lose hope, or if by luck and pluck we succeed, we'll end up basking in the glory ourselves and become monsters who self-destruct in the end. We cannot be the light of the world on our own. But with Christ in us, with Christ in control of our lives... He will shine ever so bright. He will bring light and hope to the world. It's a wonder to me that we are invited to be part of God's work. It's a wonder to me, I'm constantly amazed that we are invited to be a part of what God is doing in this world. Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The Apostle Paul says to the church, you are all children of light, children of the day. Paul says, once you were in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, hear the good news of the gospel. You are the light of the world. So go from this worship service and let your light shine to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray.